0: volume 902 a little mentoring for august 14th 2018 visit us at broadwaybullet.com and don't miss an episode follow us on spotify or subscribe in itunes or your favorite podcast aggregator and don't miss a single episode In this episode, we speak with three people with a lot of great advice to offer theater artists. First, Angelina Fiordalisi talks about her work as Founder and Artistic Director of the Cherry Lane Theatre, and especially about their mentor project to encourage new artists. Next, Raisa Katona Bennett talks about her career as a theater actress and cabaret artist, with tons of great advice for those starting out. We might even listen to a couple songs from one of her many albums. Finally, Philip Galinsky and Jeff Sherzon talk about their project, the National Monologue Slam. They are dedicated to bringing training and opportunities to underserved areas of the United States and have no shortage of advice for actors. All this coming up. How's everybody doing today? This is your host, Michael Gilbo, and I wanted to remind everybody, if you didn't see, that there's a new place you can listen and tell your friends to listen to Broadway Bullet. We are on Spotify, so just search Broadway Bullet and Spotify, click the follow button, and you can follow our podcast right from there. So without any further ado, let's jump into this week's program.
1: (music) In the best of company,
0: I am here with Angelina Theordelisi, who is the owner, founder of Cherry Lane Theater and founded the Mentor Project. And we're going to be talking a little bit about all of those things. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing very good today.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're definitely in a good mood for the first interview in the morning. Are you a morning person?
2: Yes, <laughs> I think I am. I think I am. I had to get my husband out the door by 7 a.m. this morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Cherry Lane Theater, for um, our listeners out there who maybe aren't familiar with the thing, maybe give kind of a quick synopsis of of what you do and how it started. Then we'll kind of focus on the Mentor Project, go back to the theater, and go areas.
2: Sure, sure. Well, Cherry Lane Theater is uh, probably the heart of Greenwich Village, and uh, it became a theater in 1924, when a group of theater artists broke off from the Provincetown Playhouse and Edna St. Vincent Millay was living around the block and uh, she was a friend of theirs and she said, oh, there's this box factory for sale. (laughs) And uh, they all came in and Cleon Throckmorton was a set designer, converted the um, box factory into the Cherry Lane Playhouse and so has been a playhouse since 1924. And um, there have been all kinds of off-Broadway movements there, the downtown theater movement, Theater of the Absurd. Uh, and when I uh, came into the Cherry Lane Theater, I had a big vision. Uh, I saw it, what it would look like six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, mm-hmm. ten years from now. I had, like, this flash, and I went, oh, my God, I'm supposed to be here. Okay. <laughs> and so I took it on. And um,
0: You bought it in 1996, right?
2: Yes, yeah, I've been there since 96, so that's 22 years in August, it'll be. Um, but uh, it, uh, when I studied the history, I found out that in the 60s, Edward Albee, Richard Barr, and Clinton Wilder had this thing for emerging playwrights, the idea to produce the work of emerging playwrights, which had been unheard of. And they got a $198,000 grant, and they produced Sam Shepard, Leroy Jones, Leroy Jones, who's a Mary Baraka, as we know, no longer with us. Um, Pete Gurney, uh, 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 Terrence McNally, all these young, Adrian Kennedy, all these young writers up and coming. And I thought, what a cool idea. And uh, a couple of my colleagues and I were throwing around this idea. We thought, we should do that. We should create a program for early career playwrights and produce, actually produce their plays. Not just read. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah, they're all like, what? You want to produce my play? So that was a, a novel idea. Also, in the 90s, uh, there weren't as many nonprofit theater companies, there weren't as many development uh, programs going on. So it was cool. And then we added the element of the mentors, people who are surprise winning playwrights, so that I actually co founded the program with Edward Albee. And uh, Tony Kushner, A.R. Gurney, Charles Fuller, um, um, Michael Weller, Wendy Wasserstein, and my colleague at the time, Suzanne Brinkley. And so we thought, what have we got here? And uh, I created this program based on other development programs that I had done around the country. So, and, the, and, and it turned out to work pretty darn well. About at least a third of our playwrights who've been produced here have gone on to be nominated for Pulitzer's, they've been on Broadway, they're in London, all over the place, and I'm still in touch with a number of them.
0: We'll be right back to this interview after a brief word from our sponsors.
2: Special thanks to
1: our travel sponsor.
0: Are you looking at majoring in theater for a career as a creative artist? I've created a program at the University of Providence in Montana that is designed to meet your goals if you want to be an artist you are an entrepreneur and our b a in theater and business arts is designed for you to learn essential business skills with classes specifically designed for theater artists you'll also explore different artistic skills to help you develop your talents and our productions are very student driven with a real focus on students creating their own work so you know how to do that once you graduate with a senior creative project of your choice and a business senior project of developing your own five-year business plan for your career. After graduation, you'll know exactly what your next steps are. UP also has some great programs like a four-year graduation guarantee and a student loan repayment assistance program. If you'd like to find out more, click on our sponsor link at broadwaybullet.com. Special thanks to our location
1: sponsor.
0: Writers need a full community of support in order to do their important work. That's where DGF steps in. The Dramatist Guild Foundation is a national charity that fuels the future of American theater by supporting playwrights, composers, lyricists, and book writers at all stages of their careers. They do this by sponsoring educational programs, providing emergency aid to writers in need, and offering a free rehearsal space where I recorded this episode. In April of this year, DGF launched its New Voices program, which brought trained teaching artists into fourth-grade classrooms. These artists led the students in the collaborative creation of their own plays, which were then performed for the school by professional actors. It is crucial that young students are given proper access and training in theater to share their stories and learn the power of their own voices. If you'd like to help support DGF in fostering the writers of tomorrow, please visit dgf.org and be sure to follow them on Twitter At DG Found. Now, back to our interview in progress. So, how do new playwrights get selected or involved
2: with the Mentor Project? Well, because our staff is this big, very small, we have a nominating committee. So, we go to uh, theater professionals um, and uh, literary managers, theaters across the country, and uh, oftentimes mentors who've been in the program find out about a writer, and they'll call me up, or they'll send me a script. They'll say, hey, this writer, pay attention, you know. So it's it's by that process. And we go through about 150 scripts, and then we narrow it down to about 15, and we send each mentor three scripts, and then we do the little dance. Because um, oftentimes it's not because the, they don't think the play is good, but in one instance, Pete Gurney was writing something that took place in an institutional setting. <laughs> so he didn't want, he didn't think it was fair to choose so-and-so's play because it was in an institutional setting. <laughs> um, it, it's what resonates for them, the mentors and they choose based on something that is compelling to them and th- where they think they can actually help this playwright. You know, they don't just choose it because it's a fantastic play. They go, wow this is an important voice and he's really trying to say something or she's really trying to say something. I think I can help. So it's a beautiful relationship that lasts well beyond the program.
0: Yeah. Is this, is this something that's pretty easy for you to get established playwrights involved in, or is it like a big dance convincing them to become a part of the...
2: No word on the street is very good. They know how good the program is. It's all about the playwright. Everything is about the playwright. We give them every opportunity. Uh, so, that even during the run of their plays, everyone knows who's involved that they're able to rewrite every night if they want to and continually. Um, c- that's okay. Oh, okay. We, uh, am I showing up? Oh, you're fine. Okay.
0: Here, I'll just, this, this got turned down. Okay. That's probably better. Is can, that good? I can fix that and post. Okay.
2: Um. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's about them, and the actors are game. They know and our audiences know that they can go on with the page because it's fresh. You know, and sometimes, but most of the time, the artists, the actors, directors will incorporate it, learn it, and then do it that night. You know, it's, it's very exciting <laughs> to me. It's like giving birth. You know, it's the first time that an audience will hear a brand new play, and I get off on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thing. I love that.
0: So I'm thinking 1996, when you got into the theater, um, if my mental timeline is holding correct, this wasn't a great time for Off-Broadway. No. <laughs>
2: there wasn't a lot happening. But there was more commercial productions happening than there are now. You know, now yeah. it's very sad. The state of Off-Broadway, commercial Off-Broadway is almost nil. Yeah. It's all the nonprofits now um, and all the unions. I still
0: feel like it's gotten better in at least the past, like, eight years so I moved. It seems like there's more. I mean, maybe half of those new commercial projects are parodies, but at least there does seem to be, you know, more new play, more new play, more new musical activity happening. You know, maybe uh, just grass is always greener now, now that I'm not here. It's just oh, these all look new, but it does seem like there's more out there.
2: All right. Well, that's yeah. great to have that outside eye
0: because
2: yeah. from the inside out, it's not feeling that way yeah. to me and to my colleagues who produce. Um, they're mostly Investing in or enhancing uh, nonprofit theater productions mm-hmm. yeah. that they believe in, you know, or starting them in the regions, <laughs> starting everything now, and all the funding has yeah. splintered, and it's all going to the regions now, <laughs> yeah. where that's the only pony in town, and so it's it's easier to get an audience, and yeah. uh, the rules are not as strict, uh, and the codes and so on. I mean, it's so hard to run a yeah. theater in New York City. It's just. The codes alone and the, uh, you know, the restrictions and the, oh, you know, it's insane. But we do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just the dancer, like, bringing sets in and out. And, and, uh, you know, but, you know, I I look at theaters that are taking kind of different unique approaches like St. Luke's kind of basically turning it into a commercial kind of continual rep slash festival where, you know, it's a different show every night. I mean, I think that's encouraging, you know. New work that probably wouldn't, you know, find an audience if they just had to do, you know, a two-three week run and kick it out. But you know, they can run over a year and slowly build an audience night to night. I mean, I don't think it's amazing, you know, yet. But I feel like there's signs that people are adapting and figuring out a way to. Oh yeah. <laughs> get other shows out there.
2: Yeah, we're like octopus, right? <laughs> yeah. Octopi. They just over millennia they continue to. You know they're they're the most flexible animal in the uh, in the world on the planet, and they've re- remained flexible and their shape for millennia. Yeah. So that's what we have to
0: do. I mean, people have been sounding the death knell for theater. For I mean, as, where it did almost I think it is like kind of that mid nineties was a rough period. Broadway houses were sitting half empty. Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah, it was a little dry. Yeah. That's probably why we got all those fabulous people too. Yeah. But they were game. They were like, "Yes, let's do it." <laughs> um, yeah, it was really an exciting time, and um, the playwrights that came to us too. All the theater professionals across the country were so excited to nominate the playwrights, and mm-hmm. we got some wonderful, wonderful people, and and they're all friends too. Yeah. Every year, they manage to watch each other's work and watch each other's work grow over a period, because we start with a reading, a private reading, and then a public reading, and then the uh, three weeks of rehearsal, two week showcase, and you know they go through a lot together, yeah. all, an entire year together, and it's it's beautiful.
0: I mean, I think that in general, that's the best thing about coming to New York to be an artist is not necessarily to strike it big or get famous, but to have that opportunity to have so many other like minded people around you to learn from and challenge each other.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Or, you know, and that
0: ended up back in my hometown, but I would not be the artist I am if I hadn't have been learning from, working with, and committing the best of the best and having to push myself forward in a way that. Even though I was always motivated, I don't—I couldn't have done
2: right because the standard is so high, expectations are so high, and you come here with those expectations Mm -hmm. and that energy, and you want to do well. Everyone wants to put their best forward. (laughs) It's really—it's beautiful, especially when you're young, you know. And now that I'm an old broad, it's like, oh, I need to slow down a little (laughs) bit. So um, I'm now doing—I created a program called the Founders Project which I do one play every year, working with artists over 60 because uh, everybody wants the hot new thing, and that's what Mentor Project is, Mm -hmm. you know, all the hot young writers. And uh, for those of us who've been in the theater world for many years who still have something to offer, I wanted to offer a platform and include myself (laughs) because I wanted uh, desperately to go back to being an artist again. I needed to work as an actor again because I, I'm a different woman now, mm-hmm. and I've been able to observe. and like you say, when you work with all these great yeah. people, it's like, who am I now as an artist? I wanted to know and challenge myself. you know
0: What advice would you have for a new actor, not new to acting completely, but a new actor who's moving to New York now, you know, or to a professional environment to pursue acting?
2: Uh, it would behoove you to do an internship at a theater at a Mm -hmm. small theater while you're figuring things out, you know. uh, How should
0: they approach you to do that? Say it's you, but, I mean, you as an example of any small. Yes, yes, yes. They can
2: come in through my website because we have uh, an option for people who are interested in volunteering or becoming interns, and then they would come and interview. And we have a wonderful clearinghouse for young people who are, uh, as they learn the city, to give them a safe home Mm -hmm. Uh, where they feel like they,
0: if they really want an internship with you, are they? Uh, are there chances perhaps encouraged if they say, "Can I usher for you?" Absolutely and they get to know them, you know. You Absolutely, know.
2: that's the that's yeah. the yeah. quickest way to begin because yeah. we always need ushers. Yeah. And then you know, there's all kind of different levels in production. Mm-hmm. We need interns. We need them in the office. We need them in marketing. We need them in uh, general management. There are many areas where we would love to have interns. Yeah. And I'm sure many other theaters yeah. all the other theaters in town do too. You know, so that if you uh, before you come to town there's something a place where you aspire to work. Yeah. You know, go yeah. and offer to volunteer and then you know, you never know and then you'll do readings. You'll you'll read maybe the stage directions in a are reading. There,
0: are there a lot of are there are a lot of places I mean on the smaller theaters that for like kind of cash poor working hard, paying incredible, exorbitant rent while they're working in Great Falls, and if they, like, volunteer to usher that they can see shows for free. Yes. At point, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. is yeah. to Find a company that really intrigues you. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes, exactly. And start there. Mm-hmm. While you're checking out auditions mm-hmm. and going to auditions and, you know, you never know, relationships are the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's what, does that answer your question? Yes.
0: Okay. That actually answer my se- that, that 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 split is my second question is going to be on a business level. What can they do, and that's so that second half of it. I will put for the second question. <laughs>
2: okay, and be yourself. And, yeah, just be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Just be exactly who you are. Yeah.
0: Okay. Let's see. If after forty-five minutes of talking, if I get this right, Angelina Fiordalisi?
2: Yes, sir. Yes,
0: and. Uh, with Cherry Lane it has been wonderful talking to you about Cherry Lane your career thank you, thank you, the mentor thank you, project
2: thank you thank you so much for this opportunity yeah. and good luck with all that you're doing yeah. back in Great Falls yeah, thank that's you. really thrilling yeah
0: our new our new theater and business arts program at the University Yay. of Providence Woo-hoo. <laughs>
2: all right
0: i'd like to remind everybody that if you would like to hear more from angelina Fiordalisi or anybody else you hear on our podcast we put up the full unedited interviews. They are in our podcast feed while the current episode is live. But after that, you can find them easily on SoundCloud or on our website, broadwaybullet.com. So check that out.
1: Listening Room.
0: I am sitting again with <laughs> Raisa Katona-Bennett. Did I get that right?
1: Pretty close.
0: Uh, what did I... Re-
3: it's Reyesa.
0: Reyesa. Reyesa Katona Bennett, <laughs> um, who was with us way back in episode 129 uh, when she was doing War Brides for Nymph. Yeah. And she has just released her third cabaret CD, Can't Help Singing, the music of Jerome Kern. Mm-hmm. This is her third CD. She's also got Another Kind of Light, which I believe is what we're going to be playing some mostly some songs from, because there's some special new songs written for you on that one. Yes. And uh, her first CD was What What I Was Dreaming Of. Correct. So, in addition, she just closed uh, the first New England production of Fun Home.
3: Mm-hmm. First regional New England production. First regional
0: yeah. New England production as an actress. At the Music Theater um, of Connecticut. If yeah. you were a Phantom of the Opera head, she uh, was the stand-in for Christine for several years. She has led several Broadway tours, so... You are a working actress.
3: I am. <laughs> working hard.
0: You, you have the dream that there are many people out there hoping for.
3: Yes, I I do. No. And I must tell you, actually, one of the songs uh, on that second CD um, is called It's Possible from Seussical to Musical. Okay. And on my website, there's a a, a whole, um, there's a YouTube video, a whole routine of a monologue that I do that's 100% true leading into that song. because. <laughs> I've always had this dream, and my parents just said, you know, it's, you know, you got a lovely voice, but let's be honest, there's too much competition,
0: you know. Isn't that, I think, every aspiring theater, I mean, I find it much more rare to find the parents that are all gung-ho and supportive.
3: I don't, I honestly, um, I seem to have run into more people that did have extremely supportive parents, yeah. I don't resent that they didn't, just, (laughs) I was like, I'll show you, I'm going to try, and, you know, I'm certainly not going to do it if I don't try, so yeah
0: so first let's talk a little bit about um your latest c d and the can 't help singing what what inspired this when did you do this what
3: uh, back in uh, back in two thousand and eleven I did um my first uh, headlining role uh, run at Feinstein's at lowe 's Regency and I did the music of drone kern and i um I started out back then they 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 hired me to do a run and I just thought, well, what do I want to sing about this time? Because I've been doing cabaret now for for quite a while, um, and uh, and I just listed like the top ten songs that came to my mind that I love mm-hmm. to sing that were more based on the American, Great American Songbook. Because I did the other sh- shows I'd done previous were more, um, for lack of a better word, esoteric mm-hmm. by uh, more uh, new singers, songwriters within the American yeah. theater canon, as well as you know pop and cabaret. But I wanted to do something that was more traditional. And, and out of 10 songs, really five turned out to be by Jerome Kern. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to do that, and so I didn't. I just recorded it, a live version of it, and we just had the CD release, mm-hmm. <laughs> A mere seven years later, <laughs> a little, little life things got in the way, dealing with some family issues and, you know, family, you know, what we all deal with at certain times in our life. And I was like, well, I just have to put that on hold and take care of my family stuff. So I had the time to finally get back to doing it. So that's what inspired it actually it was just yeah. loving that music of that of that genre and wanting to record it.
0: So do you how hard is it to balance you know booking, you know, your cabaret gigs between your like kind of professional acting gigs and uh, how do you balance all of that?
3: You know, this this past uh, month has been the hardest time I've had balancing it because I had contracted to do these two dates at the Lori Beachman Theater when I got cast in Fun Home at the Music Theater of Connecticut. And foolishly perhaps i decided to do both at the same time so <laughs> as i said to you, off radio i'm i'm uh, coming down from it right now i was i keep sleeping cuz mm-hmm. it was like i was doing so much at once but typically um the great thing about doing cabaret and concert work mm-hmm. is that you can schedule it in those times when you're not working in theater and in fact part of the reason why i went into doing cabaret aside from always loving the art form and loving the intimacy and breaking the fourth wall was because there was two reasons. One, I was learning a lot of new theater music uh, in Craig Carnelia's acting class many years ago, mm-hmm. and I wanted to share it. And the other part was that I was transitioning from ingenue to a young leading lady to older leading lady and character. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of time there where there was not a lot for me, and I needed to keep performing. Mm-hmm. So it was a great a great way for me to keep fresh and to keep keep on stage. So I think. It can be a challenge to balance it, but you can find ways to do it.
0: So, how is you've done a lot of touring? Mm-hmm. How is life on the road? How do you keep I your voice in shape? How do you keep you know?
3: Well, I am I am very strict with myself when I'm when I'm performing a lot, singing a lot. I never drink. I don't do caffeine. Um, I do enjoy a cocktail. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> but I never do when I'm when I'm performing that much. Uh, you can hear a little gravel in my voice right now. That's because I did have a martini in closing night, and this is what it does to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but uh, touring back when I did a lot of touring, I really enjoyed. You, you once you actually packed everything up and you had it with you, it was easy because it just went with you from from town to town. What I loved about doing, particularly like the first national tour of, of Cats, was that we sat down in a town for two to three months at a time. Okay, yeah. That- and so it was, you got to know these beautiful cities, you know, uh, we're, we're in uh, Denver and, and Boston and Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. So we got to be in major cities and really, really enjoy them. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you're traveling with your, your theatrical family, which was wonderful. You got, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. When the the most the recent tour I did was, a long, was actually just before 9-11, believe it or not, um, was Parade, the first national tour of Parade. Uh, and coincidentally, the man who played Bruce, my husband at Fun Home, Greg Roderick, was in that tour with me 18 years, 18 years ago. Um, and that was an amazing experience as well. Such great uh, subject matter. We were very blessed to have Jason Robert Brown and Hal Prince and Alfred Urey and Pat Birch, the original team for the Broadway company, on board. And Jason was actually our musical director and conductor every night. So that was amazing. But not long after we closed that tour, um, I was doing cabaret things a bit and headlining on cruise ships. And my husband said to me, uh, literally on the day after 9-11, as we were still watching, the, the smoke and my husband's a doctor and he'd been at the hospital all night and i'd been at the red cross all all night he said you think you're gonna stop touring so much now and stay home and i said yeah okay because he just everything was brought into perspective yeah. that day he's like well what's what's more important and that is when i really started um focusing a lot on on doing cabaret. so with thought between the times that i can do Theatrical gigs that are close to home, or Broadway or Off Broadway, because I've done three Off Broadway shows in the last several years. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to stand stage. So, but I, when I was doing it, I really did love it. I, I'm not as compelled to tour now. I mean, I have a full life. I have four senior dogs. I'm very active in in uh, dog rescue, especially focusing on on senior dogs. And um, I have a senior father that I have to take <laughs> care of. Um, <clears throat> so. So touring right now is not the best best thing for me, so.
0: Possibly something in the future, though, again?
3: Possibly. Um,
0: There's some of those grand dame roles that you're not yet at. Yeah. That I could- <laughs>
3: yeah, listen, if the right thing came along, <laughs> and especially if it was a tour that sat down, like a First National once again, yeah, I don't think I'd be that compelled to be doing anything that was like a week here and a week there. But you know, never say never, yeah. who knows? <laughs> you know, who knows if it's the right thing, right? <laughs>
0: <clears throat> so before we go on why don't we do you want to talk about want to lay a song from another kind of light your
3: CD sure um, <clears throat> one of my favorite things excuse me <clears throat> I was having a, I have two songs on they written for me by Michael John so original songs and we were just speaking about how I was transitioning from ingenue into older leading lady etc and I was having coffee with him one day uh, and I was telling him he said he was was going to write me a song, and what did I want him to write about? And I said, you know, I'd had this epiphany one night. I had I had gone to um, to a nightclub. It was actually actually it was an open mic, uh, and I was watching this young girl on stage, and there was a mirror behind her, and she was singing a song, and she was wearing the quintessential ingenue outfit. You know, the white shirt with the little puff sleeves back that what we wore when I was an ingenue, a mm-hmm. little little full skirt and a little you know Mary Jane's shoes and. And I, she was singing. She was sweet. She was a real sweet little soprano. And I remember looking at her and going, oh, wow, that's me. And then I saw myself in the mirror behind her. And I went, oh, no, that's me now. And it was like, oh, my God. It was huge. It was a huge moment, a huge epiphany with me. And I was with a good friend of mine. I said, OK, I'm not sure if I'm elated or depressed or what. But I had, <laughs> I had all these feelings. And I went home and I told my husband. I said, wow, this was it was a big moment for me to realize that this is a real shift, and I was telling Michael John about it. And he said, "Oh my God, that's what I'm going to write you the song about." So he wrote me the song called "Bye Bye, Avenue," which um, was actually the center of my second headlining row at Feinstein's, uh, headlining run at Feinstein's uh, several years ago, and it's it's an amazing song. And so that would be one I think would be a good one to play. All
1: right, let's take a listen. I see her at the club one night, a blonde and pretty thing She hands the pianist her book, and then she starts to sing She has a sweet soprano, she's learning, but she's good I get the sense she's got the drive to make it knock on wood Behind her is a mirror that reflects the audience Among the crowd I spot a face I know I recognize that face It's a version of that girl, an ingenue whose age has started to show. I watch myself, watching what I was, and say to myself, well, damn. I look at her, and look at me, what I was and what. And hopes and promises Tell him Chinese food He knows that I am lying He always does of course I tell him I'm too Fat, too old, please sue me For divorce He takes me in his arms and he leads Me to our bed I fall asleep and don't Recall my dreams Next morning I wake up To my husband To my work And everything is good too perfect it seems. I see myself in the bathroom here and say to myself well fine this life I have this life I've earned I dreamt of it and now
0: Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was fantastic.
3: <laughs> it's, it, it's a great song. It's a great song. As a matter of fact, um, Katie Selvin of the Ma- Mabel Mercer Foundation uh, asked me to sing it several years ago at the Cabaret Convention at Lincoln Center. Uh, they do a convention every year. And um, she was just she was just so blown away by it. She, she's a former ingenue as well. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that we face as actors. You know, talking about, I had this conversation with the little girl that just played uh, small Allison in Fun Home. She's 11. Mm-hmm. And she was all concerned at the end of the show um, as to how long she'd be able to get to do the role. Again, you know, Because she's yeah. tall and she's getting it there. And I said, you know, that's the bittersweet thing. And I asked, asked her mm-hmm. if she knew what the term bittersweet meant.
4: Yeah. And
3: she did. Uh, I said, about being an actor or an actress. You get to a point in your life and you go, okay, wow, and now I'm, I'm too old for that role now. My big epiphany for that was Louisa was one of my favorite roles in the fantastic. And I just went, Oh, it's just such a sweet, sweet time. And you go, okay, it's, it's a beautiful memory. And it's time to move on to some other things, but there's, I mean, I know everybody in mm. real life goes through it too, but as an actor, there yeah. are defining moments where you just go, that's, that's in the past now, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, our bodies are <laughs> part of our instrument. Oh, 100%. In, yeah. In that's so big telling a story. I mean, what I try, I try to tell, you know, actors I train and stuff, they go, you you can't control it, but you need to be aware uh, of it. Yeah. And it's not something that you can get upset about, but, you know, how you appear is part of telling a story, especially when you get down to some of the smaller roles. Yes. When you're only a small thing, it is important for the director to cast somebody that they think is going to, with a lead, yeah, you got like a lot you know, time that you can maybe change an audience's mind sometime if, mm-hmm. the, if the director and producer are open-minded about type. But often with those small roles... Gotta plug you in. The, the stereotypes serve a purpose in storytelling. It's yeah. unfortunate, and, and we hate it, but at the same time, they serve a purpose so that story doesn't have to be sure. four hours long to tell you what's up.
3: And stereotypes <laughs> exist because they exist. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so, yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, but, but also, we learn so much from those roles mm. in our future, and they define part of who we are going forward. Yeah. So... They're great.
0: Yeah. So um, well, let's play another song from from the album. Uh, what do you think would be a good one to do?
3: You know what? Um, there's a beautiful song written by Ron Abel, who was my producer on this and an amazing musical director, and Chuck Abel, <coughs> excuse me, called "Waiting for a Westbound Train," and that had never been recorded before. They had, did not write it for me, but they, I was looking through their their catalog of songs, saying, "She said, I'd love to put something by you guys on here," and they said. They thought that'd be a good fit for me, and it, it's sort of along the same lines of of leaving home and, and going for your dreams and, and and what you're leaving behind. It's a very powerful uh, ballad with a drive to it, so I think that could be an interesting one.
0: Yeah, let's take a listen.
1: She sat there waiting for a westbound train, lost in memories that die. Grab what she could Of all that was good In
4: goodbye
1: Better California than where she came from With her mama, both listening to the sounds that they make. One more mistake was all she could take so good back.
0: Wonderful, <laughs> Reissa, Katona Bennett. Perfect. All right, um, three CDs. Another kind of light, which we played some songs from. Your brand new CD, the music of Jerome Kern, can't help singing. And your first CD, What I Was Dreaming of, all available. I'm assuming Amazon, iTunes, Amazon, everywhere.
3: iTunes. LML Music is the uh, the producer. The What I Was Dreaming of is about to be available digitally. Um, okay. So on out through all those yeah. those sources too. But yeah, I, I would love it if they check that out or go to my website and check me out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's that again?
3: www.rayissacatonabennett.com. All right. Good luck spelling it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I, oh. I hope it's not another 10 years before I chat with hope you again. I too.
3: Thank you so much. This has been wonderful to see you again. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Breaking the Business.
0: All right. The Monologue Slam is a new competition for actors, legitimate actors, we've got the founders, Robert Shurzon and Jeff Galinsky. Did I get that right? No, that was really bad.
5: <laughs> that was great. Jeff on. Ah, Jeff on And Philip
0: Galinsky. Philip
5: Galinsky. Hey, let me tell you
0: this one. Jeff Shurzon. One more time. Jeff on Philip Galinsky. The Monologue Slam is a brand new competition for legitimate actors uh, taking place at various cities, kind of ongoing. We have got... Uh, Jeff Scherzon and Philip Galinsky, the founders, here to talk about that. How you might want to get involved, uh, and uh, then probably talk about other things in their career as well. How you guys doing? Wonderful. Great. Thank you for having us. Yeah. You guys thanks. want to each introduce yourselves so that our listeners can connect the name with the voice?
6: Sure. Uh, I'm Philip Galinsky. I'm an actor, writer, producer. I just recently was on Law and Order uh, as a mechanic, <laughs> uh, who. Wanted a criminal to buy a tire from me, but he bought. Uh,
0: On oh, order still going? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
6: that's for you. Uh, so he bought a can of sealant instead. <laughs> um, I am a co founder of the National Slam, which is uh, our new project where uh, we go across the country and do conventions uh, and seminars to underserved acting communities and get real New York. Casting directors and agents out there, and real training for these actors. Uh, I also produce the Manhattan Monologue Slam, and uh, I'm a voiceover actor. But my voice is on *Dora the Explorer*, *Grand Theft Auto 5*. I got to kidnap Jonah Hill uh, and Toyota, and so I'm using all these different avenues of being an actor and sharing them with actors. on the platform of the National Slam because the market is flooded with the dance and the voice competitions, but there's nothing really out there for actors that need a platform to be seen. So that's me.
5: And I'm Jeff Sherzon. I'm a New York-based theatrical producer, live entertainment producer, because I don't just do theater, but some concerts and things as well for the last... Oh, too long—twenty-five years or so—and I've had Broadway shows, produced Broadway, produced off-Broadway, national tours. Like I said, some concerts, and I've known uh, Philip and his brother Robert, who who's created the National—I mean, I'm sorry—the Manhattan Monologue Slam about what fourteen years ago now, Mm -hmm. and um, we came up with this idea just a little bit over a year ago, and it's 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 now we're now launching it, and the uh, again as, as to to. To reiterate what Philip was saying is that we discovered how um, how little opportunity there is for the legitimate actor to go out and be seen mm-hmm. other than in an audition setting um, by, uh, you know, it's hard to do a YouTube uh, acting piece. You can do your songs. You can do your dance. Yeah. You know, act, uh, just legitimate straight acting, straight monologues are, are tough to do, even even comedy. Um, and what we're doing is we're bringing casting directors and agents across the country, uh, having these conventions and competitions Um Hopefully we'll have one in a city near you.
6: Yeah, check the website. It's nationalslam.com, and there'll be dates for our upcoming events in which cities we're going into. And it's, it's definitely more than a competition because... Yeah, I was going to say, what, what's involved with this? There's, when, there's master classes, So you're going to do your work, and you're going to get feedback from the casting directors and the talent agents that you normally wouldn't get at. No audition because you just go in and you do it and you leave, and so there's a lot of techniques that actors are missing because they say oh, I don't I don't know why I'm not booking, and it could be as simple as when you're doing the piece you've got to pick a point and deliver the line. Yeah. You don't look at the casting yeah. director like little things. Yeah. But once once these points are, are learned, the actors have so much better results with auditioning because they kind of know what they're getting into now rather than oh I memorized it I walked in and I said it that's it you <laughs> know like and and the casting directors unfortunately in a casting don't have time to give you to, feedback to give right. you advice so they're too busy casting so that's why when they come to the seminars that we have they do their master classes the actors are blown away because they've never gotten that kind of feedback before.
5: Yeah, so, so what brought you guys, you two together to get this going? You know, it's, it's interesting because this has been a, it's almost like a pet peeve of mine <laughs> since I was in college. And I had an internship after my junior year. And, um, you know, in college, all your, if I was in the fine arts you know, department. So I was from the University of Kentucky and, and I grew up in Kentucky. But I, I came up here to do my internship after my junior year. And I was, I was interning for a talent agent. And what I learned in those three months with that internship, I was so angry when I went back to, to college for my senior year because none of this was being taught, like not how to get a job. It, it, once you had the job, you were you know, that, 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 that craft was being taught. The classes that, we were, or that my friends in the acting world were learning were great and about, once you have the job, how to act that part or how to do this or how to be that, but how to get the job in the first place, how to be seen. You know, how to to do a proper photograph, anything like that back then, especially. I mean, now it's all digital. But but you know what I'm saying. The the act of getting the job was never taught. And I still believe that that's an underappreciated and underserved um, uh, subject matter for these actors that think, yes, well, I would be a great person for that role, but have no idea how to even be seen for it.
0: Well, and then a lot of times the people teaching those things, even when it is getting served, are... At a point where they've been teaching college now for 10, 15, 20 years and are, are removed from what's happening now with right. the audition scenario. Well,
6: also, absolutely, right. we, what we've learned, too, is that some uh, colleges or so, certain acting schools won't let the actor audition until yeah. they're near graduation. So then you, that muscle is totally mm-hmm. not made at all. Like, there's nothing, now you're going out there, at least if you had gone on some auditions, you could mm. come back to the class and say, hey, I went and this is what happened. You know, I forgot to sign in or yeah. I put the du- right. you know, right. things like things like that. So it's it's the schools are great, but the the audition process is not focused on enough. And then that's when you get the actor that thinks they stink. Mm-hmm. Right. Then they doubt themselves because there's little things that they're not doing. And it's, it's, it's just every person that's ta- done the seminar, whether they, you know, win best monologue or not, they're like, this was the best money I've ever spent mm-hmm. on doing something because they they all learned so much about the audition process or how do you see me as the casting director yeah. or. I do a a monologue about being a dumb blonde. I'm not a dumb blonde. Like yeah. why did you make that choice and then adjust you and help you
0: fit your type and get more yeah. work? So well, let's face it, on auditions, ninety-nine percent of the times it's out of your control. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not what they're looking for or whatever. But despite that, what I'm curious, what are the top like kind of consistent mistakes you would say? Actors make that kind of like is the wrong choice that even if they are looking at it like you're, you're talking about, they're not picking a point to look at. Are there other like kind of consistent things you see doing these monologues that are the consistent? This is what I, this is what I preach
6: to the, at the seminar. It's your unique interpretation of the material that's going to get you the job because the script is going to be the same for me and Jeff auditioning, right? It's just who has a unique interpretation of that script that doesn't mean you stand on your head yeah. or you yell really loud and so the story i tell is uh marlon brando was in an acting class and the teacher was sizing up the students and they said i want you all to be chickens so everybody's going like this yeah. with their arms
0: flapping their arms he's got his arms folded Lapping up doing the, the chicken dance and
6: brando is squatting in the corner and the teacher says who do you think is getting the part of the chicken and they all point to brando so, the teacher goes over and goes, What are you doing? And he goes, Shh, I'm sitting on my eggs. So, if the script is chicken <laughs> and you've got 10 actors doing the same thing and then one actor that does it a little bit different,
5: that's the person either going to get a callback or it's something where it remembered. Goes, yeah. right. I mean, you said so 99% of the time it might be out of your hands. Yeah. It may not be about that day. Mm-hmm it's about how you sh- how you were professional how you walked in the door how you how you uh, didn't make other people uncomfortable or make excuses yeah. like the, you're not just there to impress the ultimate hirer which might not be the casting director the hirer might be the director or the producer or the writer who you know the decision maker but you certainly might have made a friend out of that casting director who knows he can he or she can bring you back next time yeah and right. and, and it's, all about, that, it's
6: all about relationships so like if like the casting directors say to me, oh, Phillips is like a Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler type. I am. <laughs> but when I walk in the door, that's what you're going to see, right? So you want to know your type. Otherwise, it's hard
0: enough to do it. I think it's a hard thing for a lot of actors to grab their type. But, but I want to do this. I can do this. I can do this. That was my. If you go into an audition, make sure your phone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Most important.
5: I even said to do that.
0: I thought it was fantastic. But that's such a Ben Stiller Adam Sandler thing. Moment. Right then. Right? <laughs> right. uh,
6: but um, so if you go to nationalslam.com, you'll see all the different mentors that we have up there that are part of our staff that will that come to the seminars. Um, and a lot of them are people that have gone through the Manhattan Monologue Slam and then got discovered. Uh, Alicia Joy Powell, she was in The Sitter, she was on the TV show The Mysteries of Laura. She's on Blue Bloods. So, all you know, working, working actors that really can give advice to actors that want to be working, you know, because they've gone through all of it. And she's got great stories great techniques and um also uh jeffrey drives is one of our really great mentors teachers from mccorkle casting who casts everything in new york city um and he his master class he's so into it it's amazing like and it's so positive even if there's something he has to tweak in your work Mm -hmm. it's still it's all growth and uh there's a lot of people that will say, especially the newer actors who are a little cynical. And they'll say, well, I never heard of this guy. And I'm like, well, that's because he's always casting. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? He doesn't have time to teach. And when he does, you've you got to come take the class because it's mm-hmm. it's rare. Like like you said, you could have a casting director that teaches more classes than does casting. It's yeah. you know? a lot helpful. of
5: those. It's yeah. a lot of those. I mean, and, and, and that goes all up and down the... Academia and in and, and our world, where we're, you know, a lot of them that aren't necessarily doing this today, but we're grabbing the ones that are actually working and taking them away for a weekend, and coming out to the cities. Because we also know that, you know, it's not, especially coming to, the, to New York City, is very intimidating. <laughs> so if you are uh, an aspiring actor for, of any age, by the way, because this is, we have uh, uh, age divisions for 12 and under, for 13 to 18, and then for 18 and over. So, and, and comedic, dramatic, and musical theater divisions. So, you can, if we have enough in every division, we have all divisions and all age groups, right? So you're competing against like people. Yeah. But what we're doing is we're going to those towns, your town, where you may not have any acting classes, right? So, it's of all age and all skill levels um, because we know that it's intimidating to, to make that first. So, we're very supportive. Mm-hmm. A lot of the we don't come in and we're not mean and and, and evil and nobody's there to cut There's anybody. No down. There's no sign. I know. Oh. No.
6: I get I get a little uh loud. Mm-hmm. Like I yell a little bit during parts of it, but that's only because uh you'd you'd be worried if I wasn't animated. Yeah. You know, like that's the like one girl was like, you y- why are you yelling at me? I'm like, no, I'm excited. I'm like excited. <laughs> my voice gets louder, but I'm not yelling, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, but, the, the, the students, who, uh, register, um, kind of know, somewhat, what to expect, because of my brother and I, Because if they have a relationship with me, or if they've seen the website, but one of the great things about, doing it out of town is, these kids, adults, will learn, in the master classes, and then, because of the internet, they might have an opportunity to send a video mm-hmm. for uh, an audition. And now they've got all the tools in their toolbox to really knock it out of the park. So, like, there's like Atlanta's really hot right now mm-hmm. for stuff. Yeah, it's getting hotter. It's about to be summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but like, you could submit because
0: Jeffrey will cast out of of video submissions. And he talks about that because that's the future. Well, I thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about NationalSlam.com and some different advice for actors. I think it's important. Even if you want to do just theater in New York, it's really, really useful as an actor to be able to have multiple skills if you're planning on paying the bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. So uh, Jeff Schurzon and Philip Galinsky. Thank you guys so much, and and good luck bringing this to a city near our listeners. Thanks so much. Thank you.
4: you.
1: Curtain Call.
0: Well, that wraps up Episode 902. Uh, We should be back in two weeks on the 28th. We're back to our Tuesday schedule with another great lineup. We have got Tina Marie Casamento talking about producing the new Judy Garland musical, Chasing Rainbows. George Calderero talking about how you can help save Tin Pan Alley. Michael Lee Brown, who has been the stand-in for Evan Hansen in Dear Evan Hansen since its opening. And we talked to Gabriella Marzetta and Adam Key, who are playing in the now pretty long-running off-Broadway musical of Frankenstein. So, please come on back. Again, we'd love to thank our sponsors. Again, thanks so much, Dramatist Guild Foundation. Be sure to check them out at bgf.org and the Theater and Business Arts Program at University of Providence. Find out more at uprovidence.edu or specifically a lot more about the program is at a link at broadwaybullet.com. See you later. This is your host, Michael Gilbo. All the boys.